Welcome to Interviews with Innocence, a podcast about spirituality, consciousness, and exploring the wisdom our children bring into this world. I believe that our very young children are our greatest teachers. After all, they're the masters of living in the present moment, bubbling in unconditional love, enjoying the messiness of life, and curious about the universe in all its dimensions. The pure essence that young children exhibit lives within all of us. My hope is that these interviews will help us discover, embrace, and connect with the sacred core of childhood that resides within each of our hearts. I am your host, Marla Hughes. Hello, today I am so pleased and thrilled to have Chris Batts on the show. Chris is the author of Boom, The Life and Times of a Suicide Near-Death Experiencer. Boom is the story of his life before and after his NDE, and he's going to tell us um, a bit about that story today. Chris is also a paraeducator and paratranslator for special education children. He lives in Southern California, and he has spoken about his near-death experience in many conferences and especially at the International Association for Near-Death Studies. Welcome to the program, Chris. Thank you for having me, Marla. You are so welcome. And let's just let's just jump right in. Um, your story is really a a difficult story, but a beautiful story of survival. And um, I know you've shared it many times, but could you briefly share with our listeners um, about your childhood and what what happened? Okay, so briefly. Um my mom threw me in a dumpster when I was six months old and that basically where it started that's the root of um my whole life right there that stuck with me for my whole life when she threw me in a dumpster she threw you in a dumpster yeah a local neighborhood dumpster and one of the neighbors found me just they just so happened to be taking out their trash and they heard a baby crying and they looked and they said oh my god I know whose kid this is so they called my grandma who was at church and my grandma dropped everything she was doing to come home. Wow. And what happened after that as you, as you grew older? Okay. So I stayed with my grandma. Well, cause she took my mom to court after not hearing from her for months after she threw me in the dumpster. So they went to court, the court, uh, the judge granted my grandma custody of me. What, but until I was four years old, my grandma had um, a lot of anxiety and depression. She mm-hmm. suffered a lot from depression. So when I was four years old, she had a nervous breakdown. And some say because of my mom. So I ended up going with from home to home until I found a home, which was her sister. So I stayed with them from four years old up until I was about 13 or 14. I know that um, living with them wasn't the best situation either. How were, how were you treated at that time? Well, it took a while to sink in that I would stay, that I'd be staying there for a while until one day after preschool, I was four years old. And I remember like telling myself, I said, I don't have anybody to look up to. So I'm just going to 
learn. I'm going to teach myself how to grow up. Like I'm going to raise myself from now on. Wow. At four years old. Yeah. Four years old. Cause I wasn't five yet. I remember it was, I was four years old. Wow. And then after you were four, you lived with, you said your mom's, your mom's sister. Yes. And her husband and their kids. Right. And how were you treated as the one that was not the biological child? Horrible. Um, Child abuse every day, Uh literally a lot of times every day, like they beat you for any reason. Um, Like as far as you're doing your homework, so you forget to clean up. So then you get beat for that. If you get a certain bad grade, you get beat for that. If you get in trouble for, let's say, talking in class while the teacher's talking and they have to call home, something like that, you get beat for that. Sometimes you get beat twice. So oh, Chris. Oh. it just depends on what it is. So I, I, um, can you tell us a little bit about your, um, how your NDE came about and, and your, your state of state of mind at that point, how you, how you felt about yourself? Sure. Um, I didn't have a lot of confidence because, um, all my life, the growing up, the family members that I was with would tell me how fat I was and call me all these names and they would basically tell me I would grow up to be nothing. I'm ugly or, you know, so I didn't really have the most self-esteem as it is. So it followed me up until um, high school, actually. But I was eight years old. I tried to kill myself. I tried to, I took a knife. I went into the bathroom, tried to slice my wrist. And from then on, I just had suicidal tendencies up until high school. I didn't have them in high school because I ended up moving to a different home in high school. I actually two or three different homes in high school, but um, I was very popular in high school. So I didn't have any suicidal thoughts because my friends were my family at school. But after high school, that's when um, everybody's out in the working field and everybody does their own thing. Everybody separates from each other. All my friends are progressing in life. You know, they have their parents and their families and support systems who love them, who help them get their first cars and, and, you know, their first houses and all types of stuff. And me, I didn't have any support system. So I was just always behind. Right. So I always felt like a failure. So certainly after high school, that's when the suicidal thoughts came back. Mm. Which led to, let's say, constant drinking, constant pill popping and uh, prescription cough syrup. I tried to do whatever I could. But after a while of doing that, I got bored. So I wanted to put my plan into action to commit suicide and that's when I planned it for a few years until I got the actual guts to do that to actually attempt a suicide and what happened well um I say up until maybe 18 until 23 I was planning not many people knew because the type of friends I have they judge you and they laugh at you and if you're ever doing bad, you're not supposed to have any emotions where I'm from. That's just how it is. And um, I just kept it mostly mainly to myself. And the people, the few people I did tell didn't really understand. You know, they would just tell me that I'm just tripping. You're seeing things. You're, you know, it's not a big deal. I just always felt that failure, that feeling of failure just stuck with me. So I, of being lied to like in church and people telling me not to question God and then being having child abuse like, with people who go to church. I mean, I had a whole different perspective on religion. Right. So 
So as planning this, my suicide, I'm thinking, how can I basically get out of here? Um, and I said, well, I, I really thought I would burn in hell because you're always taught the ultimate sin is mm-hmm. um, suicide. And that's the unforgivable sin. So I just told myself anything will be better than being here. Oh and my a lot of my childhood constantly haunted me anyway, especially yeah. with my mom seeing her a few times, not many times, and her never telling me anything good about myself either. So none of that helped. So I had ended up um, one day I had told one of my friends I was with that I'm going to go to, um, I'm just going to go. And they didn't know what I was doing, but we had a bad argument and I just ended up storming out and leaving. And so I was walking and I was looking weeks or should I say months before this, I was planning a suicide. So I looked at the train tracks and I would always see what time they came. So I didn't want to drown myself. I thought about, you know, just jumping in front of a car. I thought about many things. I thought about like getting in a car, running myself off of a cliff. I thought about many different things, but the train tracks are what caught my attention the most. So I looked at what times they came. So I know exactly which train to get. So I, one day after, so after storming out of my friend's house, I was walking to that train track. They just so happened to follow me and I didn't know this. And I seen their car coming and they honked the horn and tell me, get in the car. So that's when I get in the car. Ironically, the person that calls me while I'm in the car with her is my mom. The person who called you while you were in the car. Yes. So they sort of interrupted your plan with the, with the train. Right. Yeah. So my mom is, so I'm on the phone with my mom. And I asked her how she even got my number in the first place. It's been forever since I heard from her. And she said, as my grandma gave her the number and she just wanted to call me to tell me that she's not my mom. Stop looking for her. Stop asking about her. She said, I never want you. I never did want you. And I never will. I'm not your mother. Uh. So I took my phone and I, I looked at it and I said, well, F you, you never were. And then I wrote down the window and tossed the phone out of the window. And that's when my friend hit a right corner. She made a right-hand turn. After going a few, like a few more miles, I just, um, I looked at my friend and said, F this. I um, opened the car door and jumped out. Wow. And I know you hit your head. Yeah, I somehow hit my head on the concrete, and I don't know how it happened. It was so fast. But as soon as I heard that boom sound, that's when my near-death experience started. Um, I ended up seeing – actually, I, I got up, and then I um, I just remember trying to get up, and it was hard. But something kept telling me, like, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. So I kept pushing and pushing until I yanked myself out of my body. And I could feel myself being yanked out, but I didn't know what was going on. I looked at my body on the floor and said, how does this happen? So then I, like, I didn't know this really happened. So I'll kind of look at my body right here and I'm standing right here. Right. So you're standing there looking, looking at, you were outside of your body. Yeah. I was looking at my body laying flat on the ground. And I took a few steps and then boom, I'm in this void. And that's when I here from a supreme being that I call God's slash source. I knew it as God. So there was a lot of telepathic thoughts, telepathic thoughts that 
were being told to me. So the first like introduction was um, basically he's saying, let me introduce myself. Let me reintroduce myself to you. I am God. I am, I, yes, I am real. Yes, angels are real. They're a gift from me. Want to meet them? I said, no. <laughs> I, did. I didn't believe in angels or anything like that. So then I see a, pro- a projection screen and then he's, he pulls up this projection screen and he's showing me like this girl walking and he says, I love her. Then some guy with the briefcase, he says, I love her. And then he has, um, he, I see this, uh, this guy like with the, I mean, the guy with the briefcase, he said, I love him. And then you have the uh, guy with the skateboard. He says, I love him. So I, I guess it was some type of metaphor or something. So I said, let me go get perfect. I have a lot of things I need to fix. And he's like, no, I want you now. You're perfect now. Um, and then I, okay. I said, well, what about, and before I could say the evil one, that's when I look to the side, to my left-hand side. And I see like a picture of like the snake wrapped in chains. It was weird. And I didn't know what that was representing, but then I said, well, if I go back to earth, how am I supposed to explain you? So people won't say I'm crazy. So he says, go and tell everyone that I love them. And he also said, I will go to to the end of the world so everyone is with me. So did you actually see see a a form or a figure or anything? Or this was no. just you felt it? Felt it. And I felt, I didn't see his face. I didn't see any, any form. I didn't see anything. I didn't see his hands. But I felt him get on a knee and give me a hug. Right. And, and I said, so, because that's, he gave me a hug because I said, how am I supposed to explain you? Dropped down to his knee, gave me a hug. And um, I felt that hug and I felt so safe. And I didn't want to let go. And he said, you know, tell every, go and tell everyone I love them. And I felt so much love, like, you know, like, long story short. So then the second part comes where, poof, I'm literally in the sky. And then I see angels all around. Wow. There were two particular angels that I recognized. One was on my right, one was on my left. And for some reason, I knew who they were. They were both escorting me with, like, from each arm. And they were, I was like, get at me out of here. Get me out of here. I was scared. And they kept telling me, it's okay. It's okay. You'll be okay. It's okay. And I'm thinking, I committed suicide. I'm going to burn. They're like, no, it's okay. It's okay. So the one on my left side was like a little beetle type of thing with long wings about nine feet something tall he was and then on my right side was um my other angel which he had like brown curly hair um really buff little muscular and blue jeans a red flannel shirt with the sleeves rolled up to the elbows and sandals and wings of course but his wings were more taller than wide so they were both different the one on my left side was like are you sure you want to go (laughs) <laughs> he was really, like really stern and then I was scared so I turned over to my right hand one because he was nice he said um he's like you have so much to do for so many people I'm thinking this buff dude is going to kill me but he's the most soft-spoken ever wow and this is yeah. so vivid even even today you're you're describing them in so much detail yeah 
And that's when they asked me if I want to stay or go. And they told me to look down at my body because I'm hard headed and I need proof. So they told me to look down at my body. So I looked down at the concrete. Here's the paramedics over me. Here's my friend on the other side, way off to the side on her phone. And then I remember they, um, they, they said, no, look again. I looked up at my right hand, Angel. He says, no, look again. You need to see this is real. So I looked again and they zoomed in like a camera and like they really zoomed in. So I was really close. I said, so this stuff really happens. Like you could really be out of your body. How am I here? But I'm looking at myself laying on the floor. Like I'm right here. They're like, no, you're not there. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. And so he asked me, do you want to stay or go? You got so much to do for so many people. You need to love people. Things are going to change. Like you need to love people. You need to love people. That was their main message is love people. Right. And um, they said, people are going to need love. So, I, all right. So I told them I'll go back. And that's when, like in a snap of a finger, um, I guess I was back in my body, but I didn't wake up until a few days later in the hospital. Wow. And I... I remember um, reading that as you were wheeled out in your wheelchair, you, you because you were you're in pretty bad shape. It's when it sort of um, came to you really vividly again exactly what had happened. I didn't know what happened when I was wheelchaired out, but I just knew something happened. Yeah. As I looked at the sky and I saw the horizon, I knew something happened. And it just was, I said, but I didn't know what, I didn't remember what. And then that's when I said, oh, wait, I think I left my body. Like something happened to me. I met angels. Like, holy crap, I met angels. Wow. I know you say, you well, you communicated with the angels while you were on the other side, but they've also taught you a lot of things since you've, you've come back from this experience. Can you elaborate on that a bit? Well, one of the first things they taught me, because I remember this was a few months after the incident, and they, um, I kind of laugh at it because it was unexpected. It happened unexpectedly. They said, um, empty your mind of everything you've ever known. We're going to teach you what you need to know for life. Interesting. So I did. So it was like a child learning how to live all over again. It was like I was reborn. And um, the first thing they taught me was the reason you can't talk right now is because you hurt your brain. Your brain controls everything. Like your brain is the control panel to your body. Um, but so then after time went on, they, they also told me one day um, I was walking and a lot of times I walk with my headphones out. Like I have my headphones on with music playing and I'm just out walking and meditating and thinking. And so one day they're like, hey, focus on, you know, focus on your chest area place you know like you have energy places you're filled with light and energy and i'm like wait what i am like i didn't know <laughs> like i am and they're like yeah you're full of light they're like now look at your focus on your head like in the center you have like and they tell me they say most people focus in the center but they're not so exact they're like you could focus on the side of your head if you want to you can focus on the side but you have energy center places that's what they call them energy places and I'm like, huh, that's interesting. So I looked online and found out they were called chakras. And I'm like, yes. oh. So then they tell me, why don't you go on the internet and look for people who have been through things like you have. Just say, I died and came back. Like, so I was like, okay. So I died and came back. And then I find out, oh my gosh, like 
this is called a near-death experience. Like, why don't you guys just say that? <laughs> <laughs> wow. And when is this just kind of downloaded to you when you're walking and you just can telepathically just hear these messages? Yes, and I know which one is saying what. Do you? Same two angels, they have their own personality. One is more like stern, and then the other one just so soft spoken. But right. Yeah, I used, I had a I had a grudge to pick with the one on my left side, the more stern <laughs> one. But over time, I was hearing from him a lot, and it's it's because he says he loves me so much. Yeah. It upset him that I had to go through what I went through. Right. You then decided to or i think you were told that you were going to write a book about this but first before you answer that i remember what i wanted to say um how did you or did you change the way you felt you said before you were depressed and didn't feel worthy did that did that change after this experience the day i was wheelchaired out of the hospital and i seen that sky all fear of death went away. I used to be scared of death. I had all fear of death and I felt nothing but love in my heart and it scared me because that feeling was so familiar and I knew like no matter what I do, I could still go back home to a place called paradise. Like this life isn't it. So after that, I was scared of death. So it was like a chain. That led to me not being depressed anymore. That mm -hmm. gave me more confidence in myself. Like it's, it's a chain. So everything started. So then I started thinking of how I understand other people more. Right. Kind of like a ripple, a ripple effect. Yeah. And all that came from my fear of death. So when that fear of death went away, everything started changing. Wow. All my uh, feelings. That's really fascinating. And how did you decide and begin to write your book? Boom. Boom. Well, I happen to have a great friend that is an editor and they told me, you should just start writing this stuff down, the stuff that you went through, it'll be a good release for you. So I just started writing, 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 and I start sending it to them. They're like, oh, this is impressive. You know, we can make this into a book. And I said, I don't know the first thing about a book. <laughs> she says, keep writing and sending it to me. So I kept writing and she said, do you trust me? I said, I really trust you. I'll trust you with anything. And she said, okay. So trust me with this. And I kept sending stuff to her. Little do you know, months later, she starts making chapters. Oh and I'm like, God. whoa, we have chapters now? So this is going to be an official book. So we kept going and going and going. And the rest is history. I, it turned into a book. Wow. And how did you find or what did you feel like your purpose was in life after the experience and then just you know writing the book that must have been so healing and feeling purposeful also just by getting those those feelings down and the story down well when god telepathically when he told me and i felt it being in his presence or should i say it i felt so much love when he said go and tell everyone that i yeah. love them so I felt like that moment, that's my purpose to live now is to go to everybody that God loves me. And as far as my book, I think mainly that's when I had developed another purpose 
and that is to reach more suicidal people. Yeah. That's when I felt like I had a new purpose besides telling God that everyone loves him. Right. That's, that's beautiful. And I know you're doing amazing work and speaking a lot and helping, helping where it's so, so needed. Do you have any memories of when you were six months old and your mother did that? I don't have any memories of six months old. The, right. the most, the youngest memory that I have would probably be when I was about two or three, staying with my grandma. That's one of the main memories that I remember, staying in her trailer. Right, right. Yeah. Interesting. So now you, um, now you work with children with special needs. That just must be fascinating for you. And what are some um, lessons that you've learned from them? Some lessons that I learned from them is that though they might not, special ed might not be as cognitive as what you would call the quote unquote normal child, right. but they, I've, I've learned that they still are very spiritually connected and they're, I think are more spiritual connected than a quote unquote normal kid. Yes. So they don't, they lose the cognitive ability but they gain so much of the spiritual connection. That's why they can communicate with each other without words because not all of them are verbal and they still communicate with each other. Wow, that must be very special for you to be around that sort of energy. It is. Yeah, yeah. So what, um, what words of wisdom would you give to, to my listeners? Um, your story is just so... Uh, it's, it brings up so many emotions, high and low. And so what words of wisdom do you have? The same thing I like to say all the time and the same thing that I was told, you are loved. Beautiful. That's it. You are loved. Beautiful. And Chris, I know you're really involved with IANS, which is the International Association for Near-Death Studies. And how did you get involved in this organization and how has it um, benefited you? I got involved from this organization when I was searching for people who die like I have. And this is when I first started seeing groups and then I ran into this IONS group so on Facebook. So I just started leaving messages in the groups and then more people started reaching out to me. And before you know it, I had a family. Mm. I've always wanted a family and they have been there for me since day one. They make sure when I go to their events, they make sure I get flight out there. They make sure uh. I get help. They make sure I have a laptop to do my to do my podcast on. They make they send me so much things like for Christmas and so they're just always just making sure that I'm okay and that I'm taken care of. Wow. I know it's such a incredibly loving, loving community. And to hear that just, you know, just tells you just how true that is. And yeah. before we talk, we, as you know, because you're speaking at their online conference here coming up in August, but before we um, chat about that, I, um, I know that you were featured in a Johns Hopkins um, magazine or research study. Can you tell us about that? So, um, it's called a narrative inquiry 
by bio, bioethics and okay. um it's featured by johns hopkins university press um and the main purpose is like for old not old the uh former like veterans like who have gone to war who have had near-death experiences and scientists and it's to a it's it goes it's a, a journal that goes around the world so it's in about maybe 180 different countries and i think maybe like 15, 1600 libraries around the world. And my, I had wrote in um, an inquiry for their journal and they featured me in it. Wow. It's so um, exciting to know that these stories are actually getting out there and being published and being researched scientifically because um, there's, there's just such a need to show that spirituality and science really really do in my in my belief belong belong together you can't have one without the other so the ions conference so it is the weekend of august 14th to the 16th and i know you are speaking on the second day august 15th at four o'clock p.m so can you tell us a little bit and that's pacific time could you tell us what you're going to be talking about? Yeah, um, the theme of it is suicide detoured by NDEs and spiritually transformative experiences. <laughs> right. Basically, I will be speaking of my near-death experience plus suicide and how, sui how my suicide near-death experience changed me, in other words. Yeah. I was spiritually transformed through my suicide attempt. Yes. Uh, well, I I am so excited to to listen to your talk. And for our listeners, um, IONS once again will be hosting their 2020 live I online conference, um, August 14th to the 16th. And this year's theme is unlocking the healing wisdom of near-death experiences. Some keynote speakers will be Anita Morjani, Dr. Mary Neal, Reverend Howard Storm, and Suzanne Giesman. The, the really exciting thing about this conference is that they're going to have so many different options. There's, there'll be personal accounts of inspirational NDEs, um, updated, um, up-to-date reports by scientists and researchers helping heal um, in terms of grief and anxiety, anxiety and fear of death. And then there's a live participatory experiencers sharing lounge. That's a, that's a mouthful. And and it's going to be just really exciting. So I encourage all of you to join IANS for their opening program, plus the two-day information packed online conference, including 90 days of video on demand access after the conference. And you can find out more about it and register at virtualconference.iands.org. Org. And I think if you register before, it's either July 15th or 16th, it's only, it's only $99 for all those wonderful options. So, so please, please go on and, and check that out. So Chris, thank you so much. Is there anything else you'd like to share that I haven't asked you today? 
no, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really appreciate you coming on the show and and I just commend you for being so brave and telling your story and now continuing that ripple effect of of telling people how much they are very loved. So so thank you so much for that. Thank you for having me on your show, Marla. You're welcome. You too. Have a great day. So okay, bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening in today. If you want to learn more about the show, you can find us at interviewswithinnocence.com and on Facebook or Instagram at interviewswithinnocence. Please write me a message. Tell me what you liked and let me know what else you would like to hear. I would love to hear from you. And if you liked what you heard, please leave us an iTunes rating and review. It helps other listeners find the show. Thank you. Thank you.